All right. Good evening, Crypt Keepers, and welcome to a special episode of Cryptique. I'm joined, as always, by my podcast partner on this journey through the unit, well, through the cosmos, universe, you know, everywhere. Ryan, how you uh, doing? Cosmos is more whimsical, so we'll go with that. We'll go with that. Keep it, keep it light. <laughs> All right. So, Stolen Seed Evil Harvest is a true account of lifelong alien abduction and the evil alien agenda. This book details non-human alien entities intervening with humans, their attempt to corrupt human bloodlines, and a warning about their nefarious plans. Karen Wilkinson takes the UFO phenomenon story in her very own unique direction, for sure. She not only recounts the events of her life, but also offers her opinion as to what the alien entities are up to, why they're doing it, and the obstacles they're facing, as well as the deceptive games they play with mankind. She says, these entities tried to take everything from me, and they almost succeeded, but they failed to destroy me. I have a lifetime of memories. They're my memories. They're real. And this is my true story, and I am not alone. The book is Stolen Seed Evil Harvest. It is by Karen Wilkinson, and you can find her at KarenWilkinsonAuthor.com. And that's K-A-R-I-N-W-I-L-K-I-N-S-O-N-Author.com. And you can also find her stuff at lamarzuli.net. Tonight, Cryptique is proud to welcome author and abductee, Karen Wilkinson. Karen, thanks for joining us tonight. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks, Jay. Thanks, Ryan. I'm so happy and honored to be here with you guys on the show. Well, we're blessed to have you and we're looking forward to an exciting conversation. Before we get started, I know I already mentioned the uh, website and uh, the book, but tell us a little bit about your background and then yeah, remind them where they can find the, the book too. Sure. Okay. Yeah, I'm a writer. I write for L.A. Marzulli's newsletter, Politics, Prophecy, and the Supernatural, and this is my first book that I've written, my first novel. I um, And you can find me on Facebook and Instagram under my name and at the website that you mentioned and via L.A. Marzulli's website as well. And if you follow L.A. Marzulli's um, speaking engagements, I'm usually, it's some of those engagements as well. So, and I post that on my website as well. So I don't know when this goes out, but I'll be with him in Lubbock, Texas, the end of January, 26th through the 28th. And then in Orlando, end of February, beginning of March for the Prophecy Watchers Conference. So, Fantastic. Yeah, he's he's a great dude. He's a lot of fun. I, I think that I, I don't know why I haven't figured it out. Maybe it's because he's confident, but people seem to attack him personally instead of, you know, trying to <laughs> uh, attack the information he's spreading. And I just I hate to see that. So, yeah, it's terrible. But, you know, they say when you're when you're over the target, that's when you get the most attacks. So. You know, he's he's definitely sharing the truth. He's done. He does research. He's an amazing researcher and just the things that he finds and the work that he does and the amount of time and effort he puts into it is incredible. And everything he does is extremely credible and extremely well vetted and done the right ways. So people can attack all they want. I think some of it has to do with the Christian background as well. Yeah. People tend to look at that and say, well, you're, you're a freak or a kook because you're a Christian or because you're an abductee or whatever. But, 
you know, we have to just stand firm in our beliefs and let people think what they want to think and continue on with what we know is important and do what we know is important in our lives. And I respect him very much for that. Well said. I couldn't have said it any better. I know Ryan couldn't either. So <laughs> no, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I do think it's interesting that Christianity has become a thing to ridicule. Mm-hmm. It's really odd. I know uh, mm-hmm. just recently, Alan Richson, I've been seeing online that people are kind of coming after him a little bit for sharing, I guess, just some of his religious beliefs online. He mm-hmm. plays in, uh, he's Jack Reacher in the new Reacher series on uh, okay. Amazon. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know, his popularity's kind of been blowing up. He's been on a bunch of things, a lot of them superhero related, but all of a sudden, yeah, he started sharing this stuff. And I even listened to an interview where he kind of knew, he's like, he talked to his wife first and he was like, if I start putting out stuff about Christianity, that might be it. Are you okay with me? Like going to work a normal job at Starbucks <laughs> or something, if this goes sideways. And... <laughs> Didn't uh, well, Jesus know, tell us that we'll be ridiculed? So, you know, it's yeah. And, and there are enough supporters and people who also come out to love, show love and support and caring that, you know, it offsets that. And that, the amount of love that you get just from God and from knowing that you have that salvation. And just, I, you know, I've been so blessed and in the midst of all the tragedy and the difficulties and the terrible things that have happened, God's given me beauty for ashes time and time and time again. And Hmm. I have no complaints. I can only just pray that I can do enough while I'm here. And that's what I try to do. I think there are some people that give different belief systems um, a bad name because they come at it poorly. But we're taught to come at, you know, to approach people with kindness and love and gentleness. And that's not the way many people handle it. I'm not going to push my belief systems on anyone ever, but I am going to share how I feel and what's happened to me because that's my story. Those are my experiences. And if someone wants to listen, wonderful. And if they don't, that's okay too. I'm okay with that. I, I just okay. love it because it's it's a man that said, love everybody, treat everybody wonderfully, you know, share with everybody, do your best, treat everyone like your brother and your sister. And people are like, nope, that's terrible. That's terrible. <laughs> it's evil. I'm What's like, what? What's wrong with that? Right. I don't understand. What's so bad about that? You know? So, you know, but I do understand there are, there are people and, and sections of diff- every belief system, there are there are bad seeds here and there and you just have to be able to um, work within, you know, the challenges that we have. And that's okay. That's okay. We can do that. <laughs> you know, we've, we've been blessed enough that we can do that. So, um, um, but yeah, it's, it is hard. And especially for me in this, in this realm, because I'm considered too Christian for many podcasts and too woo for many Christian podcasts. <laughs> so where do I fit in? You know, <laughs> luckily I'm not alone anymore because there are a lot of, people like you guys and a lot of people who are kind of coming into this space realizing well all of this what people call woo or unusual or cryptic type things this is all in our bible this is all right. in the word it's all there it's not something new it's something that's been with us for since the beginning of time so you know it, it does it does belong here and mm-hmm. and we belong here in the in this in this in this conversation topic so but it is, it is difficult. I will give you that. For sure. All right. Well, let's get into your book. So your book is Stolen Seed, Evil Harvest. Uh, can you give us kind of a synopsis? What's that about? Sure. Yeah, the book is um, a retelling of 
basically a lifelong abduction experiences that I've had. And I remember these experiences. I didn't go through any kind of hypnotherapy. I didn't have anyone draw memories out or anything like that. These are just memories that I've always had. Mm -hmm. This has always been with me. And it recounts how it changed over the over my lifetime and different things that these entities wanted from me at different times in my life and, and how I was able to stop it and what I fear that their, their end game is and what they're trying to do. And, and, you know, that could be a couple of different things, obviously. And I outline what I think some of those things could be and what I am seeing happening and what I have experienced with them. So most of the book is just based on actual experience, not research, not hearsay, not gathering stories, just what I have experienced personally. Um, not something I thought I would share, honestly, but sure. um, I had a near-death experience and that in itself, while beautiful, I also had a lot of trauma from that and went to some PTSD therapy, which then in turn helped me to be able to manage all of these memories. And and God really, I felt led to share and um, God led me to L.A. Marzulli. It was a very, you know, it was all just how it all happened. I couldn't tell you. It just happened. And um, and he interviewed me. I didn't think I'd share my story with anyone ever. That story ended up in his fourth movie in the UFO Disclosure series mm-hmm. um, about the abduction phenomenon. And after that, I started talking to so many people. Uh, I was terrified at first, honestly, sure. for anyone to hear the story because we are called kooks and crazies and people say that it's, you know, just, it's, it's not real. And, and it's, mm-hmm. it's, you know, but it is real. It's very real. And so once I started talking to people and sharing with people and, and being someone that others could speak with and talking to the other people that were in the movie with me, um, I realized I had a lot more to put out there and God put it on my heart very, very strongly to write this book. I had no intention of doing this, but that, that pull was so strong. There was no way I could resist. And so I wrote, I just wrote my truth and it was very easy to, to do that part. Um, and since then it's, it's been amazing because I've talked to so many people who've had the same experiences, mm-hmm. lifetimes of these experiences. People remember these experiences, but they're afraid to tell anyone, especially people of faith, because you can't share it in your church you know, and you can't share it with your neighbors and your friends because they'll call you crazy. So what do you do and how do you stop it? That's the other part. Most people don't know how to stop it. So, so that was an important part of writing the book as well. So the book really chronicles that lifetime, how it, what it all is, what it means, who these, who I believe these entities to be and what I believe they're going to try to do. It's not good, is it? No, it's not. Nothing's good about it. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not. It's not a scary book. I don't want to, you know, scare people away with it. I get a lot of people saying, I don't think, I think I'm too scared to read the book. It's not written in that sort of way. There are a few places where I say, if this type of thing bothers you, then go ahead and skip this little part. Sure. You know, so I, I do offer that. But I also layer it in with how it relates back to the Bible, how it relates back to the word, how, where these things come from in the Bible, where these how to understand it better and how to feel safe mm-hmm. in, in these types of environments, you know? And um, so it's not a scary book, even though some people kind of think it might be. And, and definitely the cover and the title lends a little bit to that, a little bit of credence to that because sure. it is a scary topic. What's yeah. happened, Yeah. but it all 
is a happily ever after kind of story. So, you know, to put a positive spin on it was really important to me. Well, and you're a great representative because, you know, like you said, people did think that people were kooks. But guess what? If this stuff happens to you, it's going to mess with your mind. And there's people out there that maybe, okay, they they have wild hair and maybe they got, you know, a face tattoo or, or something like that. And, and that kind of, in the mainstream, it discredits them a little bit. So it's good to have a representative that's well-spoken and, <laughs> you know, well put together and just a good representative that, you know, this isn't just happening to, uh, you know, someone who lives on the street that's, you know, been an alcoholic for 20 years or, right. or something like that. And I can understand how that happens. And I've talked to many sure. people in that situation because it is damaging. It damages every part of your life. And you either have to com- compartmentalize it and live one life here and that stays over in another side, mm-hmm. or it just destroys, it would destroy anyone that this happened to. I don't know how those of us who survive it do, but we do. And we are moms and dads and grandmas and daughters and aunts and uncles. We work in the software industry and every other industry you can imagine. You know, for me, I was, a, you know, I was a tech geek and I worked in the software mm-hmm. industry and, and I had kids and I just tried to maintain this normal outward, you know, appearance, but I had a lot of emotional issues from it a lot. And it was extremely damaging and I didn't want to live at times because it was so mm-hmm. hard, but you know, if I didn't have that constant and I wasn't, I wasn't being, I wasn't a Christian. I wasn't walking that walk and living that life, mm-hmm. but God was still taking care of me and protecting me and, you know, and um, helping me and leading me and guiding me. So I think that's something that everyone can look to as well, because he is everyone's creator, not just the Christian creator. He created all of us mm-hmm. and he cares about every single person. And he's always there calling, you know, and he's in, and, and I think that that's important because I think some people feel like they're not good enough yeah. to be, rescued from something like this. Mm-hmm. And that's never the case. Never the case. I assure anyone listening, if this is happening to you, you can, you're, you're okay. You can stop it. You're worthy of not having to have this happen. Absolutely. Nobody deserves this. Nobody. No, no, no. So when you decided to write the book, what was, what were you trying to accomplish? Did you have a, was it just like, I want to share my story or was it, I want to help other people or was it kind of a combination of a lot of things? Yeah, it was really to help. I mean, I never thought I would share my story and mm. I didn't have any real intention of doing that. But, but um, once I had the movie had come out and I realized this was help helping people and I could help then that, that it was to help people and also to kind of set the record straight because in my mind, there are a lot of fallacies out there. I'm not, I'm not, berating anyone. I respect everyone in this community, in this field. However, there are some people who I feel have misconstrued who and what these entities are. There are some perceptions that there are benevolent cedars or benevolent space brothers, that there, you know, are ancestral cedars, what have you, that they're the good guys. And, you know, there are good and bad of everything. I agree. But I wanted to kind of set the record straight too, because I really do feel a lot of people are being deceived by, by these entities. And I wanted to keep that from happening as much as possible. Yeah. It does seem like there's, sorry, that there, there's a, a lot of stories that I've read or a lot of experiences that people have put out there 
And I don't know if they're real. Like, I don't know if I buy into them because so many of them are follow a pattern of I was abducted, taken against my will. I was terrified. Things were done to me that I didn't understand. Uh, I was hurt. You know, I was ridiculed for these experiences, but, but I feel love. Right. And, and, and they, they love us and they want to help us and they want things that are good for us. And it's like, this feels like a trick propaganda. This feels like they press some Manchurian candidate button and you just like popped up and said, it's all there. One, one of the, one of the other paranormal podcasts I listened to was they were making fun of it. They're like, they're here to abduct away the hate. <laughs> I know. And I, I understand where that comes from. I re- having been in it, I do. Because when, when people are taken from a young age and many people are taken over the course of a lifetime, they're basically groomed from a very young age yeah. to not only accept what's happening and not talk about it, but to accept it as being done for benevolent purposes. It's like being in a um, an abusive relationship where these 10 bad things happen, but then they're going to pepper in these nice things to try to keep you on the line as long as possible yeah. and to keep you parroting the right things and sharing the right message. Because if you're groomed your whole life to do this, then as an adult who can speak out and share information, you're going to share the information that that abuser wants you to share, not the more realistic information because you, your brain isn't conceiving it that way. So I really do believe people saying that feel that way, honestly, in their hearts. And that's why I can't, you know, I can't say anything bad about those people because I understand where they're coming from. I suffered from the same Stockholm syndrome for a certain amount of my time in my quote unquote captivity with these, with these entities. What in, in your mind what do they want? What is their end game? I mean, yeah. because this is happening to people all over the world. And certainly mm-hmm. there's some people that, you know, have put a story out just to gain attention for themselves or whatever, but it's yeah. happening. It's definitely happening. We see, uh, you know, cattle mutilations and, and things like that. Um, wh- what do they want? Yeah, that's a really great question. Um, And especially now, because now our government is admitting that these things exist, that Mm -hmm. they have crashed craft, that they have biologics, that, you know, there have been secret programs all along, even though they've denied these programs. And, Mm -hmm. you know, that this has been going on for a very long time, that people are being injured and even killed at the hands of these entities. Mm -hmm. So now with all of this, you know, why, why is it all coming out? What is this leading up to? Um, you know, in my opinion, this goes back to the, you know, the fact that this goes back to the Bible. This goes back to the Garden of Eden. It goes back to Adam and Eve and then Genesis 3 and the seed war and everything else. I know you spoke with L.A. Marzulli about that, so mm-hmm. I won't repeat everything that he said. But when the, um, the late Dr. Chuck Missler used to say, Satan's outnumbered two to one. He's building an army. And that's exactly what's happening. Anyone who is born of a human and a non-human entity, one of these entities, and you can call them whatever you want. You can call them aliens. You can call them Zeta Reticulides. You can call them fallen angelic beings, whatever. It's all the same thing. We're talking about entities who existed before us, created by the same creator as us, 
but before us, they're different than us. They're far more advanced than us. They're, mm. They don't live in this realm, in this earth, the way we do. They may live here. They may be existing among us. I believe they exist underneath our feet, right, as we speak, because I was taken underground mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. everything. Um, that, you know, these these entities are are much stronger than us. They are deceptive, the ones that are fallen. And like I said, if, if Satan's trying to build an army and he's outnumbered two to one, then then creating hybrid offspring is going to be one way. Um, leading people astray and having people following them, saying these are benevolent space brothers, anyone they can get on board with the program is then going to lead people away from the truth. And not to sound churchy, but the truth of salvation or the truth of of living, you know, of of having eternal life. And that that's a you know something that's been going on. That's the eternal struggle has been going on since since like I said since the Garden of Eden. So it's not something new. We may have new names for them. They may have new, you know, vernacular and new things to call them, but it's the same thing that's been happening all along. And I believe that they still have, you know, they lost the initial seed war. They couldn't stop Jesus from being born, right? right. But what they can do is keep as many people as they can from learning the truth and from following the truth. And so I believe that that's, that's the ultimate goal. So you mentioned being taken underground. Yes. Can you, I think... Probably a lot of people listening to this or watching this are going to have a very Hollywood-based view on what the abduction experience is like. Do you want to maybe go through, if there is such a thing like the average experience, like what is real and what's a fabrication of of media and TV? Sure. Yeah, there was a very typical kind of scenario that would happen. And from the time I was very, very little, I mean, I don't remember a time in my life when I wasn't being taken. I was taken so young. Um. And the first thing, generally, anytime this happened, I would notice is I feel a difference in the room. I would feel a presence, feel an evil, just a palpable, just terrifying evil presence, just dark. Yeah. And um, sometimes all the noises outside often would stop if we were in the country, all the cicadas, mm-hmm. the crickets, yeah. the noises would just go silent. Um, often these entities... Um, there would be a light sometimes coming in the window, sometimes a bright light. Sometimes I didn't notice any light at all. Um, they have often, their approach would come with like a really low humming noise that just went from low to lower. It's almost so low that it was almost a pounding sound. Sure. Um, there would be two, at least two at a time entities in the room. Mostly um, they were, be in a corner or the foot of the bed, sometimes beside the bed. Um, And shadowy, but they were the gray entities that people typically talk about with Mm -hmm. the bulbous heads, the big black screen eyes, Mm -hmm. about three feet tall, maybe. Um, And very, very cold, very callous entities. They did not smell very good. Sometimes they had a very strong odor of sort of sulfur, dead animal, urine kind of Sounds you know, demonic so, to me. Yeah. And, you know, I, <laughs> I've heard that a lot. And I'm like, I did not know that, but I know that now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because I've never spent any time studying the occult. Because honestly, having a lifetime of this, I couldn't read, look at, be involved in any of that sure. because it was just too terrifying for me. Um, but uh, once they would show up, I would usually wake up because their presence was just so strong. 
um, when I did wake up, then I would get that paralysis where it just felt like a heavy weight just pulls my body down and I can't move, can't, can't yell. And on the occasions I could say something or try to yell out if there was someone else in the room, they were in such a deep state of sleep that they wouldn't move. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm. like they'd been put under and, um, I would get levitated, levitated off a bed up to the ceiling or over to a window. And, um, you know, close enough that I see every detail on the ceiling, whether it's just the little, um, curls in the wallpaper at my grandma's house, her ceiling was wallpapered or the little (laughs) bugs in the light or the little tiny squares when you get really close to a screen and some of them are bent and some of them are gone. And, you know, Mm -hmm. just the details that you see when you're so close to something, um, and as I would get up to the wall in the window, knowing what was going to happen, cause it had happened so many times, there's this vibration sense that would come over my body. And I felt like I was just going into a million bazillion little pieces. Like I was made of ball bearings or something. It's hard to describe because hmm. we don't have that here. So that's the closest thing I can describe it as, but that's not really <laughs> exactly, but it's close. Sure. Sure. Yeah. And through a window or through a ceiling and I'm watching everything get farther and farther away, you know, pictures on the wall. I can see through walls and everything. I can just, I can see things, you know, that mm-hmm. getting farther away. And then um, most times at that point I would be put out like into a sleep mode and wake up probably because I would start to get more upset or more panicky. I don't know, mm-hmm. but um, I would wake up in a, um, sometimes in an elevator, we had these, elevators they take me to that went just down and down and down. And then I would be put on these, what I called when I was little, the sideways elevators, um, because I, we didn't have anything like that. So I was used to cars and trains and things making noise. Right. And this was silent, but it had benches and like a bench seat that they would put me in. It was very cold. Um, and it went very fast from what I could tell it's hard to tell how fast it was going no idea but it was moving um and it was quiet and so i get on and i'm you know i've had people since say that sounds an awful lot like a train i'm like yeah it must have been something like that but (laughs) but i didn't have anything to compare it to i was just a little kid you know and even growing up i still didn't have anything to compare it to i'd never been on anything like that Mm -hmm. besides there and um so sometimes i'd wake up on one of those that was taking me to um, a particular part of whatever facility I was going to that time. Um, some of these underground facilities were so huge. They're bigger than football stadiums and airports and things like that in one room. And that's just one little piece of it. And sure. just there are hallways and stairs and elevators and rooms and windows, of people and humans and alien entities, just all kinds of different things. There are waiting rooms and just more stuff than... Yeah, it's it's crazy how intricate and huge these places are. I mean, it's not so far out of the realm of possibility when you realize that. Think about the Mariana Trench, or think about that. I can't remember the name of it. There's a canyon in the Atlantic Ocean that's like twenty five thousand feet deep, or something like that. Mm-hmm. Think of how many Empire State Buildings you can fill in that hole with. Right. You know, that's how deep is under our feet, just in the ocean, and we don't know anything about their surface. And most of what we've been taught is just speculation. No one's actually gone in there, you know, right. to see what's, what is the core? I don't know. Has anyone actually been there? You know, we don't know. You know, there's a lot of speculation out there. Um, so, you know, all this underground, you know, it's huge. Um, and it didn't feel like 
necessarily underground. I knew I was underground, but it was just big, you know, mm-hmm. except there were no windows to like, you know, the outside sure. normal world. Um, but um, sometimes I'd wake up on an exam table um, a lot when I was little and they would just be doing medical stuff that I didn't know what it was. Right. They never took time to stop and say, Hey, now we're going to do this like a doctor might, you know, right, they right. just did what they wanted to do. If they had a way of like passing their hand over my forehead or my eyes and pain would stop if I was in pain or sometimes it would just make me fall asleep. And that was the last thing I'd remember and I'd wake up in bed with sometimes my pajamas inside out or in another room or in another part of the room. Sometimes I'd wake up in another room in the house, hmm. you know, it just, I never woke up in anyone else's house. Thank goodness. Yeah. yeah I've heard of that happen to people, but you know, and my parents are like, you know, why are you taking off your pajamas at night? You know, why mm-hmm. are you wetting the bed? I was wetting the bed when they showed up. Cause I was terrified. I bet. Oh, yeah. No. yeah. And knowing what was going to happen, I just, you know, panicked. Um, I would try to hide at night. You know, it was terrifying as a little kid. I got to the point and they, I was trying to talk about it. You know, mm. I was trying to tell kids at school. I was trying to tell teachers and my parents, but I didn't have vocabulary, you know, just like I didn't have vocabulary for that train thing. I didn't have vocabulary for what these entities were. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Excuse me, my allergies. Um, so I called them like the, you know, the, little ones that came to get me or they're touching me or, you know, those guys are bothering me and they won't stop taking me and, you know, Oh, you're having dreams or, Oh, she's talking about kids at school or something like that. And, and, you know, talking about, you know, I had a needle put in my neck yesterday or I had a needle put in my chest yesterday and kids just think you're making stuff up, you know, and they told me, you know, so one night they, I was, they had me, I was standing in the backyard. I woke up standing in my backyard at my grandparents' house and, you know, I'm in the backyard. I can feel the wet grass under my feet. It's chilly out. I, you know, the dew, everything. I am outside and they put this screen memory in front of me. They had this way today. It makes sense. We've got VR. You can put on a VR headset and feel like you're anywhere. Right. Yeah. Back then it didn't make sense how they did it. And so it was hard to, I couldn't explain it to anyone today. I can say, imagine virtual reality. It looks so real. You feel like you're going to fall off that cliff. Right. Well, they had my family marched out in front of me. They sprayed their necks with something and then beheaded them in front of me and then put their heads back on and said, if you tell anyone, if you keep talking about this, this is what's going to happen to your family. Don't, hmm. don't cross that line. Hmm. Be good. Don't cross that line. Be good over and over and over again. Be good. I could not stand. I could not watch that ET movie when it came out. It terrified me. And that be good. Every time I heard that, I practically wet my pants. It was awful. And I was just a little kid when that came out. But um, so um, I was about six years old, probably when I had my first little mental breakdown at school. And my mom had to come get me because I was curled up in the ball in the corner of a bathroom stall and I wouldn't wouldn't get up. I wouldn't talk. I wouldn't do anything. I was just rocking. And uh, she took me to the doctor. Um, she thought maybe someone had been abusing me because I said, they, they keep taking me. They keep touching sure, me. They keep sure. doing stuff yeah. with me. She didn't know what that meant, you know. Mm-hmm. Doctor's like, well, you know, I have marks on me from what they've been doing. He said, yeah, um, yeah, something's clearly going on here, but she's young. She'll forget. She's fine. Physically, she's going to be fine. And that was it. And we never talked to him. Okay. That was all that was. And I realized I can't tell anyone. Nothing good's going to come of it. Yeah. You know, I'm going to get ridiculed. It's just going to, they're going to threaten me. So I just kept my mouth shut from that point on. Um, a lonely feeling. 
It is. It is. And I wish I had known. I mean, I saw other kids there and I saw people there too. There were people working with them, but the people weren't allowed to talk to me and I wasn't allowed to talk to the people. So there were humans working there, regular humans. Oh gosh. Those are the ones that are in league with the devil, man. Wow. We'll be right back after a quick break. Welcome back, Crypt Keepers. Yeah, you know, I think there's a there's a two different kinds of people that you're going to run into in this scenario. I think there are people who know what they're getting into and set these things up. And then I think there are the people who are excited to get this high clearance to work on a special top secret project project for their company, probably not even government, but probably all private companies and stuff. You never know. Um, and they're excited to sign that NDA, get that big paycheck, work on that awesome secret project because you're so smart we need you on this project mm-hmm. and then you're in it and once you're in it you can't get out of it they use me and they used other people to show the humans working there what would happen to them what would happen to their friends and families their daughters their sisters their wives if they stepped out of line if they talked about this those people weren't going to say a word yeah. because what they did to us to torture us in front of them was heinous and I write a little bit about that. I do warn people when you get to that section of the book that if this is too much, just it's not something you want to read about, go ahead and skip over this part. Because I think it's important because I I, I also want people to know that you can't blame the people who are working there either. You know, they were, they were as trapped as I was. Oh. You know, they, they had no choice either. They were just doing what they knew to do best, which was protect themselves and their families. And I was protecting my family by not talking yeah. as well. So... You know, I get it. I understand it. Do I like it? No. You know, no one should be in that situation. But but I don't I don't think they had a choice. I really don't. So there were grays and humans. Mm-hmm. And I get well, the, the question I was thinking of while, we, while you were talking was if there are grays are often, maybe not usually, but often described as being like a drone. Uh-huh. sort of a worker bee for something else. There's usually, yeah. you know, the little grays and then these tall slender ones mm-hmm. that seem to be in charge. And a lot of people in their experiences that describe those ones as either the ones that will speak to them or more often speak to them telepathically. Right. The fact that there are humans there is really interesting. Were there other entities there? And did there seem to be like a particular hierarchy that each one had a, a certain job yeah. that it was doing? Oh, definitely. Yeah. And I've written several articles, um, a series of articles on the grays and who and what I think they are based Mm -hmm. on, based on my experience, excuse me, my voice. Um, And um, there are these shorter grays. I really believe that they are like an avatar type body, like for lack of a better word, um, that they are like a lab created entity. We can create skin in a lab. Um, I believe they're designed after the taller grays that I've seen. There are taller, more robust grays. These short grays, they they don't have mouths that open. They don't have any discernible features. They don't have any discernible external organs. They don't. They're very thin. They're very frail looking. Um, you know, their arms are long and their legs are pretty long. But they're just. They seem like a little kid could just break them in half. You know. Sure. Um, but they do speak all of these entities would speak with a mind speak and not mm-hmm. usually a verbal speak. Um, 
because obviously there's some translation at play there. Um, and, um, and it's not, I hate to use the word telepathy, although that's really the, the best word to describe it, but it's really just speaking without opening your mouth. You know, it's just thinking words to each other. So I guess that is telepathy, isn't it? Um, but, um, and, um, they, I think that, yeah, those avatar suits are made that way because think about it, if they get caught, if they get in a crash or whatever, they're not getting in it. The, whoever gets that, you know, the government, whoever takes that, those entities isn't really going to get anything valuable. It's not going to be something that can share any information. And mm. I honestly don't think these entities also can survive very well or very easily for very long in our atmosphere and not without mm. God's permission. at least. Mm. So coming without that permission, I think there seems to be some real problems in that area. So that's why those are, I believe that those are used. I have a lot of, like I said, I've written a bit about that, but um, the, the taller grays, there's different, there's almost as many different ones, I think, as there are like different kinds of people, you know? So in general, I think the shorter grays are, are, were create modeled after the taller grays. Those look different. You can tell they've got different faces and different facial expressions and some look more female than male. Um, some are taller than others. Some are bigger than others, but they're all generally kind of the same. They probably look at us and say, we all look the same too, you know, yeah. so whatever, you know, it's, it's just one of those things. Um, so um, there were reptilians. I had a handler who was with me my whole life. He generally appeared as human when, um, and I had a very Stockholm syndrome type relationship with him. And when I asked him to show me, I could tell it wasn't what he was because there were times when he would phase like in and out, almost like it was um, a screen or something in front of him. Yeah. Like maybe he was losing his concentration or his, his whole platform. Exactly. When he was really into something. And so I asked him to show me what he looked like. I said, I promise you I'm not scared. I just want to see what you look like. And he was beautiful. I mean, he was a reptilian, but not like anything I've seen a picture of or anything here. Um, he was like opals, like opalescent. His skin was almost like jeweled. You know, it was just so pretty. Um, he was beautiful. Um, he was scary too at the same time, but he was also beautiful. You know what I mean? So, and I got to know him so well, he, it didn't bother me at all. And there were others like him, you know, he wasn't like the only one. Um, from the time I was really little, I saw a lot of the Nordics. Mm-hmm. Um, people call them the Nordic types. They look yeah. almost human. They're very tall. Um, they look kind of like they have blonde hair, but I found their hair to be kind of like a clear. So it seemed like it picked up whatever color was around them. Sure. Yeah, um, I think like a platinum blonde. Uh, like a platinum blonde is what I've heard yeah, them as a lot. And like, I've... You know, this clear like fishing line kind of stuff. It's almost yeah. like a fishing line, that kind of clear. Yeah, so it looked... I think it looked those cut because sometimes it would look more brown and sometimes it would look different colors. I'm like, ha- are they changing it or is it because it's clear? You know, that was always something right. that I would, I would find things to concentrate on so that I wasn't focusing on what was happening. <laughs> so sometimes I would focus on things like that. Um, they had really, really big eyes, like twice the size of ours. Our eyes were huge. Hmm. Um, and that just terrified me as a kid and my father's family had similar coloring to that. They were just tall, thin, blonde, fair, fair eyes, fair skinned. And as a very, very small child from, you know, like a two, three year old, I wouldn't go to them. I would scream bloody murder whenever they were around. They didn't understand why. And obviously I couldn't tell them, but they just had a similar look, you know, and I was too oh, little yeah, to be able yeah. to say or to make those distinctions. Sure. Um, 
I was terrified of them. But, um, and the other ones that I never saw up close, but they were always off on the other side room. I called them the corner sitters when I was little, cause they were always off in a corner or on the edge of a room. Cause some of the rooms were just curved. They weren't corners so much as ends sure. of the rooms were the, um, insects, insectolin, I think is what they're called. And they look like a praying mantis type face, like a big mm. triangular face with big eyes that kind of wrap mm. around and really long legs and really long arms that just bent and looked like they bent in like the wrong way, you know, wow. it's just, terrifying. And I could tell that they were in charge and I wasn't so much scared of them because a, they were just kind of always there and they never really approached me or hurt me. So you kind of get used to it after a while, you know? Um, and um, I mean, if one showed up right here, I'd, you know, I'd rebuke it, but I'd probably also, do a few other things. <laughs> I probably, yeah, wet myself again. But um, well, we would too, even if <laughs> yeah, it was happening to you. Because I haven't seen one in a long time, and I don't really want to. And they're not pleasant, and you feel the evil. You know, it's like it's, it's like with people or animals. You can tell. You know, if rattlesnake's about to strike. You just get this sense, and you see it. And if you've ever been around one, you know it's it's terrifying, and it's that same kind of weird sense of urgent fear. Mm -hmm. Um, those in, and they all, those are the general types that I saw. I don't know. Some of the humans walking around were actually not human. You know, I have no idea. You know, they never sat down and said, this is our hierarchy. These are really humans and these are really aliens. You know, this is how, these are the different, they never told me any of those kinds of things. They taught me a lot of other things. Like they kind of do these brain dumps of math and science and, physics and things like that so which was really nice because i didn't have to study in school or anything like that but they didn't give me any of the pertinent information about them you know i was just a lab rat to them i was just a a piece of human flesh that they utilized for whatever they needed at whatever time so um as interesting as it sounds it was 100 percent terrifying all the time when when you saw them do like we can see where our eyes are looking right because we have mm-hmm. you know we can we can yeah. see did their eyes do you remember did their eyes move shift at all mm-hmm. or anything because we always see it's yeah. just a big black mass right but did they that's move interesting yeah that's interesting you say that because this is one of the distinctions i make about the grays those shorter little grays that i call them meat suits their eyes don't move Mm-hmm. It's like a screen. And I always like, is that covering? Because, you know, there could be another entity inside that suit. Yeah, It could be an AI or it could be a demon. And I know that might sound out there, but look, we know from the extra canonical books, we know from the book of Enoch that demons are the disembodied spirits of the Nephilim. And I think your listeners are pretty well schooled in what the Nephilim are, that they're the yeah. progeny of the fallen watcher angels and humans. If they've That's been keeping up with us, they know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if, they've been, if not, let me know and I can explain that. Further. But, um, <laughs> or we can do another show because that is a whole other show. Or talk to Ryan Peterson because he is the expert. But um, as far as that goes, yeah, they didn't move. You know, those eyes were like stationary. That's why I call them like screen eyes. Yeah. But the other grays, the ones on the sh- in the facilities or on the ships, their eyes would move. Their eyes mm. moved. They were still like a, a black eye, um, but they shifted. Gotcha. And they moved, and it was freaky. 
bet. And their and their eyes, you know, they had facial features and expressions. Whereas those smaller grays, their faces just never changed. But the taller they they would wrinkle their foreheads and they would show, you know, ang- anger or you know, mostly. I think they mostly just get frustrated with me <laughs> when I would get upset or um, be in pain or or complain or cry or whatever I would do at any given time. They're very. They seem very frustrated with with us as humans because they, you know, I think they think we're too frail and and babied. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But um, yeah. So all of the other entities had eyes that moved, except for the shorter grays. They seem to just have these just plain old screens that I could never, I could never, it never felt like they were looking at me. I don't know what's worse. I really don't. Yeah, right. I don't either. It's all pretty bad, quite honestly. It's all pretty bad. And you know, what's interesting is recently um, there was a leak from a government report that said that the entities that they had recovered didn't have lymph systems and didn't have digestive systems which fits right into what I've been saying all along that there's, these are just vacuous meat suits. And I've seen these grays just on the floor of a facility in a, you know, against the wall, like stacked and other people have seen them stacked in drawers or hanging up. Um, Other people have reported the same thing. So, and I didn't really think to mention that early on or in the book because I didn't think, it was important, you know, but I probably should have because other people have mentioned it too. And it, and it turns out it is probably more important, but um, yeah. So I think those are just used to get people. And, and like I said, I think if, if someone captures one, then they're not going to have to worry about it. You know, anyone getting Telling all the it. secrets. You're right. Exactly. Cause they only know what they're supposed to do. So so you talk about some definitions in your book, uh, ectogenesis. Can you tell us what that means? Ryan probably yeah. knows, but I'm confused. <laughs> ectogenesis is a big one for me because I was part of a breeding a breeding program with these entities, where I would they would take eggs from me, they would fertilize them and put them back in, and then I would go to the doctor. I would be pregnant. I would be excited and happy. Um, it would be confirmed at a doctor's office by doctors. I'd have appointments, plural. And then in the third month, I'd wake up feeling bad, go to the doctor's office, or not the doctor's office, sorry, go to the um, emergency room. Right. I'd still be testing positive. You know, they take a blood test because back then that wasn't always the little sticks that you can do yeah. now or a urine test or whatever. And, um, and I, they would, I'd still be testing positive and they do an ultrasound, no heartbeat, no baby. They do a DNC, no fetal tissue, nothing. They look in the tubes. There's no tubal pregnancy. Where's the baby gone? Well, maybe it's a hysterical pregnancy or you absorbed the baby or you were never pregnant to begin with, but I had it all confirmed right. and it happened over again. And I had successful pregnancies. Mm-hmm. So I know what a pregnancy feels like. True. And when you have a baby, you know that baby's in there as a woman. Yeah. And um, so ectogenesis comes into play because they took these and these fetuses from me and from other women. I've talked to so many women who have had that exact same scenario play out. And the government report admits that missing pregnancies is a part of what's going on. Um, and I have that in the book too. The report is in the book. Um, there, they take them at the third month and they have to do something with them because our bodies are designed to reject anything that's not 
going to come out as a normal human. God has done some very specific designs Mm -hmm. on us. So I really feel like our bodies at that point would be rejecting the fetus. They take it at the third month mark. They put it in an artificial womb. That's called exogenesis. And I know that sounds crazy. I've seen walls of these things in these facilities where I walk there the hallway and both sides of this hallway were lined with what looked like aquariums, like fish tanks you would see in a, in a fish, in a pet store. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they still do that anymore. Cause I haven't been to one in a long time. They do. But they have, okay. <laughs> so that's what it looked like, but it was very, the hallway was a lot of those areas are very darkly lit. They're almost kind of a red purplish lighting sure. in some areas, it's more of a blue lighting. And this area was a very red purplish lighting. So I couldn't tell what color the liquid was, although it looked red. I don't think that was it. I think it might've been colored that, but it could have been red. Um, and in it, in these tanks were fetuses. Now, I don't know if they were all human. I couldn't see all of them. Some of them were up quite high. Hmm. Some of them were very tiny. Some of them were bigger. Some looked very human. Some did not. Wow. And I don't know what the other ones were. But um, ectogenesis is something we can do today. It's been all over the news and all over, you know, it's all over the websites. If you look it up, you'll find all kinds of information about these artificial wombs that we have now that we can use. And, and bovine blood is compatible with human blood. You can also look that up. That is, I know L.A. Marzulli talked about that. He's the one who put that together. That bovine blood is compatible with human blood. You can use that for all kinds of things. And I really think that they're taking people A for, I'm an O negative. I can give blood to anyone. So they can use my blood for anyone. Bovine blood is also compatible. Um, A lot of my friends who I've, and the people I've talked to um, since I've started this process, they're O negative or at Mm. least RH negative. Most of them are O negative. Some are RH negative. Um, And uh, so that seems to be a very common factor. And I don't think it means that we have Adam and Eve DNA or Adam and Eve, you know, there's all kinds of speculation about it. No, Mm. I just think that we're selected because our blood is very compatible. It doesn't matter what blood types the two of you have. If you needed blood, I could donate blood to you. But unless you're O negative, you can't donate to me. Yeah. yeah. And so it's a very compatible blood type when doing things, you know, for others. So um, and not and I'm not decrying what anyone else has to say about our H negative blood. We just everything on it is speculation. We have no answers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's nothing. There is nothing. The only thing we have is speculation. So if you know, that's one of those questions I have for God when I get up there. Is there any reason why all these different blood types, you know, I, maybe it's some kind of protective thing. I don't know. You know, yeah. I got a lot of questions when that day comes. I bet. The rest of- I bet. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of unanswered questions in my life. But um, so ectogenesis is the process of bringing um, a fetus to maturity in an artificial womb. And it's something we can do today. And it's something they were doing for a long time and they were doing with me in my feet, my babies. And I know LA had talked about that. He thinks that a lot of, in a lot of these cattle mutilations, they're taking their uh, wounds. They're taking their well, you know, reproductive as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Blood tissue organs. Um, yeah. I mean, God knows what they're using it all for. There is a, an area that I was, would go to often with my, um, I call him, with the guy that was with the entity that was with me, I call him my handler. Mm-hmm. He did not have a name. Everyone always asks me this. Does he have, mm-hmm. what was his name? We just had a knowing it was like an imprint. Mm-hmm. So there was no name per se, but he did have an identifier to me 
and I could identify him. So if I was getting dropped off and I was in one of those really big rooms underground and there could have been thousands of people in that room and there were lots of people being taken with me at the same time, lots of people, everyone's in the zombie state, not everyone, but most of them. If I was looking for him, I could find him like that because it was just a connection and and like an imprint. So it was no, it was just no big. And, and whatever it was, I didn't even pay attention to anyone or anything else. I went straight to him. Mm-hmm. So whatever they did, it affected how I reacted around anyone else as well. Hmm. Um, so, um, and I, I brought him up because, um, yeah. Oh, because he would often, we would go to this one particular area underground and they have this ability to, like I said, it's almost like wearing VR goggles. They can make you see or think or feel pretty much whatever they want. You can feel elation. You can feel sadness. You can feel happiness. You can feel sleepy, whatever. Um, and in this particular area, it always looked like the beach to me. I always felt like I was going to the beach. It didn't look exactly like the beach, but I just had the sense that I was at the beach. Mm-hmm. I felt like I was at the beach. It wasn't sand and it wasn't water. It was blood. It was like this giant pool of blood. And Mm. there were things around it that were like bones. And in my mind, they were shells. They were these giant, oddly shaped seashells. And and I know what I was seeing, but my mind was telling me it's something else. So it wasn't even yeah, it wasn't even like looking through VR goggles. It's just he gave me a different sense about it so that it wouldn't freak me out. It's so weird. Um, and I'm like, wow, is that, and I'm, you know, thinking back on it, thinking, is that what they're using the blood for? Because he would get in that pool. And I don't know why. I don't know what the process, what the purpose was. He never told me that. So I think they use the blood and tissue for a lot of different things. I think they try to replicate our fertilization process because I really think they're trying to create a body with a soul, a spirit like ours. And mm-hmm. they're not, they're not doing that. They're not getting that. So I think they're, you know, trying to do everything they can to replicate the process, but you know, only God can give that, that spirit and that soul. And I don't think they're Agreed. quite getting that. There's a, there's a part and I write it, I think I wrote in the book about, and, and some more of the, I think it's the book of Jasher, which is an extra canonical text. But when it talks about the fallen, angelic beings, the fallen watchers who were mating with the humans. And they were also doing all these experiments on animals and things. And he says, you know, and God's, God's admonishing them when they're getting their judgment, and their punishment. And he says, you know, I taught you all these things, but I didn't teach you the most important part. And implies that I gave you everything, but I didn't teach you how to make that soul, how mm-hmm. to make that spirit. Mm-hmm. And to me, that just stuck out so bright when I saw that in that book and I had to include it because it made sense to me because I feel like that's what they're trying to do. You know, Satan tries to create a counterfeit to everything in God's kingdom. And why would this be any different? You know, so, but clearly they're not, um, you know, when you think about the black eyed kids, if the stories of the black eyed kids, I think you guys have done stories. on. We did our first episode on it and it was probably terrible. We'll probably have to hit that one again. (laughs) LA's got a lot of good um, information on that. He's he's interviewed a lot of people. He may even have some context for you. My children that I encountered, my hybrid children, were basically black-eyed children. Okay, your children or yeah. children that you encountered? Yeah. Okay. Okay, 
yeah, this is a whole nother story, right? I don't know where we are on time, but um, we're, we're, we're at about an hour. We can go okay. for two I hours if you want to, or we can yeah. try and wrap it up. Yeah, I can go as long as my voice holds out. Okay. <laughs> I've, yeah, it's been a long day of, of this, so so we'll see how long sure. it goes. But yeah, yeah. I so I I talk about I talked a little bit about the missing pregnancies, mm-hmm. and in one of those occasions where I'm walking down that hallway where it was filled with those like aquariums with fetuses in it, I'm with these entities. One was a gray, and a, and I always thought it looked like a female gray, and one was like a um a a, a um, Nordic, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and they took me in at the end of these hallways on either side and on either end were doors and those doors and behind that door was a room. It was a room a little bigger than a, a normal size kind of small walk-in closet. Okay. So it wasn't a huge room. And they opened the door to that room for me to go in. And one of the walls was just like a, a big window, um, like an observation window where people could watch you through the window. And then the rest was just, plain walls. Um, they put, took me in this room and there was a woman already in the room and she was laying down imitating the birth process and they were giving her her baby. And then they gave me what they called my baby. And they said it was a good baby and they wanted me to hold it. And being a mom, I grabbed that thing up as fast as I could. Right. Um, because I'm like, this is my baby that I'm taking it home, you know? Right. Um, and it was, it was small, very small, very red, purple color, um, cold, colder than normal, but not dead or by any means. Sure. It had a, its head was very large and its eyes were very large and dark. And I held it up to me and just, you know, as instinctively as a mom would do, and it wouldn't cuddle into me. It was like holding a brick or holding mm. a book or holding a stuffed mm-hmm. animal or something. It just didn't my babies, when I held them, my own human babies, they just, it's like they became one right. with me, you know, and just no matter where I held them, they'd cuddle into my neck or my chest or my arms or whatever. This baby didn't respond to me. And I was really upset by that. And, um, and they could see I was getting visibly upset. So they came to take the baby away, but I did not want them to take the baby away. I got very upset about that. Cause I'm like, no, I want to take this baby home. I figured if there was something wrong with it, I could fix it. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm a mom. Mm-hmm. I just want to love it and fix it. No. Uh, the next thing I know, I woke up in my bed. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously I got so upset. They just, you know, they can shut you down in a matter of seconds. You know, they have this power over us that, people really need to be aware of and understand because it's dangerous. But um, I really wanted my children. I prayed for my children. I asked God to let me have these children back. I thought if they're half me, they've got to be half good, right? Mm -hmm. Um, These would be my hybrid children that were taken from me. If they were alive, I wanted them. I wanted to see them. I wanted them to know I loved them. Mm -hmm. I wanted to try to fix them. I knew what the Bible says, but I didn't want to believe it. I wanted to do this my way. Mm-hmm. As we often do with God, I made bargains with God. I said, if you just let me see them and hold them, I know it'll be okay. <laughs> you know? So one night I woke up in the middle of the night and to what I thought was my kids standing by the bed. I have a lot of kids and a lot of kids that call me mom. But these looked like my actual birth children. Mm-hmm. But they were, I realized, and I said one of my kids' names out loud. Hey, so-and-so, I'm not going to say his name. Um, it looked like three of my sons. Uh, I have a lot of kids. I said, 
what's wrong? And I said his name out loud and I hit my husband. I said, honey, wake up. My husband doesn't move. I look back and I wear contacts. So it's really hard for me to focus when I wake up. And, um, I looked over and I realized these aren't, these are my kids, but these aren't my kids. They're too short. They're too stocky. They were dark. Their eyes were dark, like black. Their skin was almost a dark purplish color, but I could see the features in their faces that look like me. You know, I could see the resemblance. Yeah. And you put them with my kids. You could tell they were of the same genetics. Um, I was so excited. You know, I wanted to just jump up and grab them. And immediately I was hit like a wall of water with that evil unrest, palpable, I hate you. I want to destroy you kind of feeling coming off of them mm-hmm. that is, was so strong. And I was just like, what, you know, and I'm thinking, yeah. I love you. Yeah. And they're thinking they're back. They're just thinking, I hate you, you know, and mm-hmm. the evil is so strong and I'm now terrified. And I'm like, what do you, what's wrong? You know, I'm still saying what's wrong. And that's how I started the conversation. Mm -hmm. And they're like, you have to come with us. And I'm like, I know what that means. I'm like, no, I'm not going there. Sure. (laughs) Oh, I'm sorry. I'm not going with you. You know, what's, why are you here? What's wrong? And they just kept repeating. You have to come with us. That's all they said. Come with us, come with us. And I'm like, no. And then finally I said, no, in Jesus name. No. And as soon as those words, left my lips. They disappeared. My husband shot up like a bolt out of bed and was like, what? As if I had just hit him. Like I had done, you know, five minutes prior. Or a few <laughs> minutes prior. You know? And I'm just like shocked, you know, and, and I'm just like, uh, you know, but yeah, it was just, it, it all, you know, it all happened fast. It probably only was a minute or two, but still, as soon as his words left my lips, they just, they were gone. I'm, flash. It, it sounds like you're just in almost a state of perpetual mourning. I, I mean, you you know, you mourn uh, the the lost kids to begin with. My mother had a couple miscarriages, and she's just like it was the most devastating thing that I could ever imagine. Oh, it is. But then, is. with the added stuff that you're going through, I, I mean, it's just it, it is an absolute nightmare. And and it's great that you're coming out to share this because. There's people out there that need to hear it and they need to know that someone can be as strong as you've been. And I'm not being very strong right now, but (laughs) sorry, I'm tearing up over this, but no, 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 that's, that's okay. I I mean, I, I don't blame you at all. Uh, One of my favorite quotes is you never know how strong you are until strong is your only choice. And I, I think you've, you've lived that. We'll be right back after a quick break. Welcome back, Crypt Keepers. I also think you never know how strong you are until you've hit the very, very end of what you have of your strength. And then God picks you up because I have hit that. I have gone to that dark Mm. place and, um, and God never let me get past that, that edge. Mm -hmm. I've been with my 
feet on the edge so many times and God never let me go over the edge. And, you know, you never realize how blessed you are until you have no strength left and God picks you up. And I, I cannot tell you how blessed I am because God picked me up every time. I don't go there anymore. You know, the healing has been so amazing and so cathartic, especially from writing this book and Good. talking about it. Mm -hmm. Um, the emotion never leaves you, especially when you think about, you know, just, you know, I, there's just, there's a lot of emotion, love and fear and hate and, and God's glory and grace. And, you know, so it's a lot of emotion in one place, but God did yeah. truly give me beauty for ashes with all of this. And, you know, it's, it's been a miracle and oh, it's no. been amazing. Yeah. And, you know, being able to see them, I got closure, Yeah, you know, That's I realized they didn't have they didn't appear to have a soul. They didn't appear to have a soul. Can I say if they're redeemable or not? No, because that's not my choice. That's God's choice. Mm -hmm. But if there's no soul there, then what is there to redeem? But I don't know that, you know, anything I say is speculation sure. on that, on that end, but I at least got my closure that I did everything I could and there was nothing there for me. And I really did not feel anything from that. There's no love for me there. So I had to let that go. And I finally have, and I have talked to so many women who felt, I felt really guilty about wanting them yeah. for so long. And I have since then talked to so many women mm -hmm. who felt the same way and, and sharing those stories with each other. It kind of absolves us of some of that guilt because yeah. we realize, okay, this is a normal way to feel. Right. It just means that you're a parent, a mom or a dad would feel that way, you know? So, so that, that, yeah, that it can be very it can be a really highly emotionally charged situation to have to be in the presence of one of these. But I do believe yeah. they were black eyed kids. I think the black eyed kids kind of fall into that age range where my kids would be about 30, those hybrids. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it has to do with the evolution of them figuring out how to, you know, how to make a better, how to make a better hybrid for lack of a better description. You know, making them look more and more human, you know, more D, more of this DNA, less of that DNA, more right. of this type of DNA, less of that, you know, whatever they're doing, tweaking things in a lab. Because, you know, then you talk to my friend Al Matthews and the entity that he encountered, the hybrid was so human-like. It's not even, you know, she, you could tell she was a hybrid, but she was very human. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. If you ever want to talk to someone, he's a great person to talk to about about the hybrid entities as well. He's had an amazing encounter and I can always share his information yeah. later, but That'd be great. But yeah. Yeah. So, yeah um, but he is a, uh, yeah. So I think that, you know, just back on the subject of the black eyed kids, I think that's what they probably were just based on how they looked and what the stories I've heard. And they had hoods over their heads, you know, and I often hear that they have a hat or a hood. So that made sense. Um, yeah. Even what they were saying, you need to come with us. I mean, black eyed kids, it's always, you need to let me in. You need to help me. You need to come with me. Yeah. Like at they they need some kind of permission and they want, you have to agree. Yeah. When I said no, they were mad. And then I said, in Jesus name, no, they were gone. So, yeah. you know, um, and that again is something I want to share with people because if they have these encounters, you know, you don't have to be afraid. There's, they have the same creator. Ultimately everyone does. And no matter how, where you believe we come from, at some point, there's a creation point. Mm -hmm. It doesn't come from nothing. Even if it came mm -hmm. from a single molecule somewhere, where did that molecule come from? Right. You know, 
Well, I, I I don't want to just jump to a totally different thing, but I, I do want to get into the other term that you use, which is panspermia. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, and that fits right into that because panspermia is, there are a couple different definitions around it, but it's basically the idea that we were seeded here by another race okay, or that maybe we came in on a meteor and it was a little primordial blob of ooze that then morphed into and, and finally ended up being the humans that we are today. Am I saying that there's no evolution? No, I'm not saying that at all because we are designed to evolve and adapt to our environments. That's part of the beautiful design of all creatures and beings. But do I think that we evolved from a little blob? No. Could that have been God's design? Sure. I mean, however God did it, God did it. We weren't there. We don't know. Right. Right. So anything anyone says about that is going to be pure speculation anyway. Um, I do believe in a divine creator. Do I know how he did it step by step? Nope. Do I need to? Nope. Not really. It doesn't affect my walk or my salvation, you know? (laughs) So um, I'm, I'm here. You're here. That's really what matters, right? So, um, and, but yeah, panspermia is the idea that we don't have a creator, a divine creator, that we have a, maybe a celestial cedar, or maybe we came in on a, a molecule on a, on a meteorite somewhere and, and came from there. Yeah, it seems to cover even up to accidentally putting life here. Right, or genetically altering us. Right. Even. So, yeah, that's why I said there's a, there are a lot of different directions panspermia can go. I think it just really implies that we were created or messed with out from some outside source. Um, and we mm. do have an outside source, our creator. You know. Good point. So, in that respect, you know, there is a creator. I mean, you know, it's even, even the most ardent of, um, of, a religious, I hate to use the word religion because it's such a stigma, but um, atheists or other deniers will say, will agree that there is a source. Well, what is source? You know, a divine source, even some people say. Mm. So, you know, we're kind of all talking about the same thing. It's just different words. Oh, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Now, you mentioned uh, Roswell in the uh, Granada or Grenada, however you want to say it. Treaty. Uh, so how do they tie into this abduction agenda of these aliens? Or, I, I mean, we're just saying at this point that they're demons, right? Like, uh, I mean. Well, no, they're not demons. I mean, well, I think that the smaller greys are inhabited possibly by demons. But I okay. think that these are entities are for, you know, angel is a misnomer because it implies a specific task of a being created by God that's not human. These are entities created by God before humans, you know, we know there are these angelic, as we call them, entities, and we know that some of them are fallen, Mm -hmm. and we know that some of them are not, and I have had interactions with fallen, and I have had interactions with non-fallen entities, so I believe that these entities that are kidnapping children and raping women and taking babies and, and killing cattle and other animals and people are the fallen entities. Where And these are, you know, again, far superior to us. They're entities that were here before God created humans. You know, you know, when he, when he says, you know, when he laid the foundations of the earth and the angels or whatever they were, you know, the sons of God, the Beneha Elohim shouted for joy. You know, these are members of his divine council. These are, you know, they are beings all through the Bible. It talks about these entities. 
They look different. They act different. They have different jobs. Mm -hmm. They're just a part of his kingdom. And just like we are, um, they're just different to us. So that's what I believe they are. Sorry not to get off on a huge tangent, but you know, there's, it's the really hard thing is, you know, there are words like UFO, UAP, alien, and we use these as kind of a catch-all for everything. When really, if someone's throwing my cat across the room, it, that would not happen in my presence. Trust me, because I love my cat. <laughs> um, no, but that would be a, a UFO, an identified flying object or fuzzy object, you know, until <laughs> I realized who it was. And be like, Why are, what are you running after? Because he will fly himself across the room sure. going after something. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I call him a UFO sometimes because he's my unbelievably fuzzy object going, you know. <laughs> 20 miles an hour across the room. <laughs> so, or we've got, you know, people call them aliens. Well, alien just means not from here. Right. Um, so, and I define those things mm-hmm. in the book too, while we're talking about definitions. And, and so, you know, and they really, we don't know where they're from. People can say they're from this planet or that place or this plane or that, whatever. We don't know where they're from. We're not given that information. Mm-hmm. And just because someone said, well, you know, I heard they're from Zeta Reticula. It doesn't mean it's true. Right. Those of us who've been with them and in their presence, you know, there are some people who say they've flown off to other planets and galaxies. Entirely possible. Sure. I was taken underground. I was taken up in the sky, but never to another planet or galaxy that I know of. Mm-hmm. You know, everything was always seemed to be these underground facilities. So, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of speculation out there. And and someone will say one thing and everyone will jump on that bandwagon because they'll decide, well, that expert said they're from this planet XRL 47. So we're, we're going with that. Mm-hmm. That doesn't really mean much to me because most of us who've experienced them haven't been given that information by them. And I can't find it anywhere in our ancient literature or text or anything like that. So that doesn't mean it's not true. I just can't find it. Sure. Um, but so the Granada treaty is where I think the permission for these entities to start taking people actually happened. Um, Because, you know, they, there was supposedly, you know, Eisenhower was trying to make an agreement with them and that didn't pan out. And then you start getting groups like the majestic 12 involved. And, and um, that's where I think agreements were made by our government to start these projects. And it explains why I saw so many humans around as well. And it also talks, speaks to the fact that our government's been involved in it all along. And they say, no, we haven't been involved in it all along. But then they come out with these press conferences recently that say, well, yeah, we kind of have, you know, which is it? Hmm. No, you know, they've admitted to it. Well, we don't have any secret groups except for the ones we have. You know, it's like if you're not asking the right questions, you won't get any answers. And, you know, yeah. and we don't know what questions to ask because we don't know the names of the group that are doing these things. So, you know, that's where the lies kind of started and, and Roswell as well, because we know very well that that happened as well. And there's been a mission to that, but they still deny it. And we'll never see those videos and tapes because, you know, everything is just covered up. And it just shows, you know, I put that in there because it shows how how long this has been going on since before that. And those aren't the earliest. There are reports in the 1800s of the government covering things like this up that I have. And and then, then you go back into ancient texts and cave drawings and things like that, and they're everywhere. So this is nothing new. This is not some new phenomenon. This is not some new thing that's happening to people. We're just putting a new spin on it. 
and our government decided it was something no one was supposed to talk about. So they made it, they made it the stuff of conspiracy theories and crazy people. And, um, mm-hmm. and I think that era is coming to an end with, with the more information that they're letting go of slowly. So I hope that answers mm-hmm. that question. I'm not sure if it does, but, and the question was mostly about the, um, yeah, the Eisenhower and and Roswell. And then L.A. Marzulli has two new movies out on Roswell, part one and two. And they went searching in the debris fields. Did he tell you about that? I don't think so. I don't think we're out when he talked to you. They went searching in the debris fields and they found some stuff. So I can't let the cat out of the bag on that one. But I highly recommend those are on his website, too, to go watch it. I absolutely love those two movies. I think they're two of the best movies he's ever done. Um, highly recommend those. Um, yeah, they found stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's cool. It's really cool. So um, it's nice to have that exoneration, you know, and and his movie was to exonerate the Jesse Marcel family. Mm-hmm. And um, and he did that. And he also found some evidence. So so I recommend that. Yeah, for sure. All right. So in your book, you talk about a near life experience. We've heard about near death experiences, but what what is a near life experience? That sounds like a lot more fun. Yeah. Am I wrong? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it, getting there wasn't fun, but, and I guess, you know, it's the same, it's really the same thing as a near death experience, but I felt like it was closer to life than death. Um, because, uh, I was going in for a surgery, a, and I was hooked up. I wasn't hooked up to any machines yet. I had two IV ports in and, uh, was taken into the operating room, but I haven't been given any meds yet. It wasn't my first surgery with this surgeon. So, I wasn't nervous. They weren't nervous about me being in there and him not being ready. He came in and said, hi, said he had a few things to get together, left and went to the other room again. Um, cause they were putting rods and wires and stuff more in my back. I have, Ouch. I'm got a lot. I'm, I'm mostly made of metal. Um, yeah. Another fun, uh, side effect of a lifelong of um, lifelong alien abduction. Um, but, uh, so he, he, there were just two nurses walking around, but I'm not hooked up to monitors. I'm not hooked up to IVs. I'm not hooked up to anything. They, this um, anesthesiologist comes in, she leans over me and she, in her white lab coat, she's got a pocket full of syringes. She pulls one out, pushes it into my IV port and just walks out. Doesn't say, how's that? How are you feeling? And it was supposed to have been a sedative. She gave me a paralytic and walked away and I couldn't move. I couldn't breathe. It felt like my body was made of cement. Mm-hmm. Um, I was paralyzed and I died on the table when no one was around. I couldn't, I couldn't call for help. I couldn't do anything. And so I'm laying there. I can't breathe. I'm dying. I'm suffocating. Um, and that was very traumatic. And then I just heard a voice in my head audibly and it didn't sound like my voice. You know, when you think to yourself or, you know, you'll kind of hear it. No, this was a very clear audible voice unlike any voice I'd ever heard, not the voices from these entities when they do kind of the mind speak or anything. Mm -hmm. It said, it's okay. You can let go now. And I was out of my body in an instant. I felt just the most love and peace I've ever felt in my life. I've never felt anything like that ever. I can't even describe it fully because we don't have it here, but it all encompassing love, all encompassing peace, um, I wasn't worried about anything. I didn't think about anything like that. I could see everything. I could hear everything. I could see what was happening in the other rooms of the hospital. I could see my doctor getting things ready in the other room. I could see the nurses finally start to notice that there's something wrong with me. 
Um, and I was still me. I still had my personality. That was a really interesting thing is without this bodies that we carry around, I was still me. This hmm. personality goes with you, your personality. You are hmm. a unique, uniquely made, you know, when it, when the word says you are wonderfully and beautifully and uniquely made, it's true. We are, there's no one like you, you know, and, and that goes on. You continue on. Um, and so I, but I watched them walk around and realized that I was not breathing and one of the nurses started to panic. The other one ran and grabbed the doctor and he comes running, screaming in the room going bagger, bagger. And I'm watching all this stuff that I wouldn't be able to see from my vantage point on the table. Yeah. And then, um, you know, more and more of them are coming in. They're trying to revive me. They can't get me to breathe. Finally, they intubate me and get me breathing. And they were going to have to do that for the surgery anyway. So it wasn't a big deal. I mean, it was a big deal. but It sounds horrible. <laughs> yeah. Doing the intubation wasn't a big deal because it was going to happen anyway. Right. But doing it to get me breathing again was a huge deal. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah. So they finally got me breathing again. And uh, then I went, everything went black. And I'm assuming at that point I went back in my body because that's then it was just over. And I woke up in recovery and usually in recovery, you're in there and there's a bunch of other people in on journeys. And there's usually one or two nurses taking care of everybody. It takes me about half hour to an hour at the very most to get through recovery. This time I woke up with about six doctors and nurses standing around my bed. Um, I woke up screaming in pain. Um, they kept having to put me back under because my blood pressure would shoot up. My pulse would shoot up. Everything was, you know, just terrible. By the time about four hours had gone by of this, um, I, that time I woke up screaming in pain again and prayed to God. I'm like, God, why am I back in this body? You know, with all this pain, what's going on? Help me. You know, if I'm supposed to be here, then help me please. And the next thing I know, there's these two beautiful young men orderlies standing at the foot of the bed and they put their hands on my legs and I just felt calm and peace and didn't mind any of the pain or anything going on. And, uh, and I was able to get out of uh, recovery. They were really just, they were just wearing normal scrubs. I remember telling him, you look like you could be two of my boys. You know, they just look like they could be any one of my sons or one of the kids that I call one of my kids, you know, and uh, they were just so calming and loving and peaceful. And, and we get to the, they, so they come with me up um, out of recovery, up the elevator and down the hallway to the house, to my room in ICU. Um, and my husband and my daughter-in-law were allowed to be there waiting for me. And um, I grabbed their hands and I'm like, you have to meet the boys. Oh, I won't think I would have made it out of recovery without them because they were worried I'd been in recovery for you know, the surgery itself took at least six hours. So for 10 hours, they're waiting, not knowing what, you know, if I'm going to be okay. And, um, and they're like, what boys? I'm like, the boys are right here at the foot of the bed and they weren't there. And so I asked the nurse and the other orderly who had wheeled, were there beside me, wheeled me up. Where did the boys go? And they're like, honey, what boys are you talking about? I'm like, the boys that were with us in recovery, they were with us in the elevator down the hall. I was talking to them the whole time. She's like, Oh, that's who you were talking to. You know, she's like, honey, there was nobody there. You know, they didn't see anyone. They physically put their hands on, you know, like on my calf, they were there. They talked to me, they calmed me down and then they were just gone, you know? And I really think that I had an angelic encounter and these were good benevolent beings, you know, not the ones that, kidnap people or they, they didn't take anything from me. Hmm. All they did was give. They gave me comfort, gave me peace, 
to help me through. And when that was done, they were gone. You know, they did what they were there supposed to do, and then they left. And that's the difference between these entities, you know, these benevolent, beautiful young orderlies who are clearly something else, and the ones that are taking people against their will. A huge difference. Absolutely. So, yeah, that's my part of my near-life experience, the before and after. Well, if anyone deserves an angelic experience, it's you. So I'm glad you got that. That's so sweet. Yeah. Thank you. No, it was amazing. I wouldn't give it up for the world. I'm sorry. And if that hadn't happened, I wouldn't have had the, PT, the PTSD therapy. Mm-hmm. And if that, you know, and maybe God would have made that happen in another way. But still, you know, I thank God for that because that's what allowed me to be able to then share this and to help people with this and to let people know it's real. It's happening to people. I talk to someone new every day. This is happening to so many people just exactly the way it's happened to me. Mm-hmm. The only difference is who we are and where we live. You know, that's the only difference. Mm. So it's real, it's happening. And, and there is a way out of it. And that's, that's, and you're not alone. I just want people to be able to talk about it, to know right. that they're not alone. You know, that there is a, there is a way, there is a way out. Does this abduction uh, phenomena run in families? I mean, it would seem like they would want to keep as much genetic information together you know, as they can. Exactly. Bingo. I think that's exactly what it is. You know, once you find genetic, once they find a genetic material that they can work with, they want to continue with that. And our lifespans clearly aren't as long as theirs from what I've noticed and what we all seem to have identified with these entities. So once you've got something, you know, there's the likelihood of someone in that family line sharing a similar genetic traits is going to be there. And that was the case in my case. Yeah. And, and I'm sure you've talked to your family members and I, you know, if they want to come out and talk about it, they'll talk about it. But I I did want to get that out because if, you know, if your sister or your brother or your cousin or your mom is having something like this and you're having things that maybe you don't understand. Yeah. You're trying. Yeah. Oh gosh. That's, that's gotta be terrifying for you. Yeah. We'll be right back after a quick break. Welcome back, Crypt Keepers. I mean, I'm not scared. Yeah, it is terrifying. It's not terrifying for me now because I know that nobody has to put up with it anymore. But knowing that it is something that likely happened to my, you know, grandmother or mother or one of my children. Yeah, it's terrifying. I won't speak for anyone else who this has happened to because that's not my place to do that. Um, you know, that's their place when they're comfortable doing it because I know how hard it is to come out with this. And I know the ridicule that you face when you do speak out about these things. There's a lot of victim shaming going on in this. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And there's nothing to gain by coming out talking about this except to help other people. Mm-hmm. This doesn't come with, you know, fame and fortune and glory. It really doesn't. And But that's not why I'm doing it. You know, it's not, not at all why I'm doing this. Why do you think that they're coming out with more information now? Is it just that their hand has been kind of forced and they have to say, oh, okay, well, yeah, you know, there's been five million 
sightings, I guess we need to come out and say something about it now. Or, or why are they coming out with it now? That's a really good question. Yeah, I think it's there's a couple of different things. One, I think, yeah, I think sometimes their hand gets forced on it a little bit because someone gets fed up and they say, forget it, I'm talking. Mm-hmm. I can't allow this. I think some of it is pre-planned, predestined, and preordained um, to happen in a certain way. I really think that some of these things are planned by powers outside of just us puny little citizens, you know, whether it's our Mm -hmm. world leaders or whether it's these entities themselves or all of the above, um, putting together these plans of action for a specific outcome at a specific time, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, So I do think it's both. I think some of it's pre-planned and I think some of it's is oops, somebody talked. So now we have to share because you can tell sometimes they're only sharing the bare minimum that they absolutely have to. And then sometimes when they come and offer this information, you're like, why are you giving me that now? There's something to that. Yeah. Cause they never offer it for no reason. That's not going to be given up for no reason. Yeah. Maybe uh, they're like, Hey, you want, you want to learn how to build a machine that can teleport people you know, give us this. And, you know, they just say, okay, well, you can have any of our citizens just uh, keep it quiet. Yeah. There's a little story in the Bible about that happening a long time ago, you know, and it Mm -hmm. kept happening where the, you know, there was exchanges like, just like that made. So, you know, um, it doesn't, it doesn't surprise me if that's exactly how it happened. And it appears like it does. We have all kinds of heavily redacted declassified documents that would make it seem that that's what the case was. Yeah. There's a lot out there. There's so much. Yeah. The documents are like of (laughs) the, and said, did, and then every, and everything else is redacted. You're like, this makes no sense at all. I mean, this is like a terrible game of Mad Libs we're trying to play here. You know, that would be funny to play Mad Libs with those. We'll <laughs> right. do that if we're forever in the same conference sometime, we'll do that. Yeah, that sounds like fun. <laughs> when, sure, when, when you were growing up and you were having these experiences, were there any outward signs, uh, burns on grass, uh, trees that lost okay. leaves, crop, crop circle type things or anything like that? Yeah. I mean, there were signs on me. There's a burn on my back that I got when I was very young that no one could explain. Mm. It's in the shape of a triangle. I put a picture of it in the book Um, and other marks too that weren't as permanent. We did have uh, several cattle die mysteriously on the farm, Mm. but my grandfather wouldn't talk about it and he wouldn't let us see them. So I can't say for sure that it was a typical cattle mutilation scenario, Um, but it was a cattle farm. Um, you know, and there were some nights when I would just hear the cows go crazy in the barn and, and I'd be like, why are they doing that? And my grandma said, well, there's, you know, there's wildcats up in the hills. Well, yeah, we got wildcats here to, here in Texas too, mm-hmm. but they don't make the cattle across the way go crazy. So, mm-hmm. you know, um, but those are the most, I didn't, I don't ever remember seeing any burn marks. Of course I never looked. You know, sure. Well, I mean, you I were a little kid that. a lot of the time. Yeah, so. we we walked those hills. You know, mm-hmm. we loved walking the hills, and there was all kinds of uh, fun stuff that we'd come across Native American artifacts and things like that. But um, it, yeah, it was just 
couple hundred acres of rolling hills and on in southern Ohio on the river and it was a great place to be as a little kid and just go you know run free in the creeks and the hills and everything um you know and just avoiding the cows um but um which they don't care cows don't care if you're in the field um but uh but I'd never really looked because I spent my days trying to be as far away from that as I could. That makes sense. You know, I mean, I didn't want to, up until recently, I wouldn't watch a show about aliens or UFOs. I wouldn't look at a book about aliens or UFOs. I wouldn't watch a movie or even if I was flipping through channels, I'd have to flip faster because I would have a nightmare. Mm -hmm. I mean, I couldn't look at anything that up until recently, I couldn't look out the windows at night. Mm. I couldn't wake up in the middle of the night. We have these awful upper windows that you can't put curtains on because they're real high up. Mm -hmm. I hate those things for years because I'm like, God, I wake up in the middle of the night and I had to force myself not to look that direction. I couldn't because I knew what was out there Yeah, and I didn't want to see it. Um, You know, and it's, it's, that's another funny coincidence too. Um, That's another thing me and I've had in common with all these other abductees that I've talked to. They've done the same thing. Mm-hmm. When you sit with them, if you ever get a couple of us together at once, you'll hear a lot of me too, me too, me too. Yeah. When we start talking about those things, because you don't realize you all have this in common because no one wants to talk about it, but we all have the same things in common. So yeah, but that's, that's the most physical um, that I can remember growing up. Did you, did you coin the term space brothers? That's George Adamski penned that in the 1950s in a book. Um, I, I actually, I actually, I have a reference to it in my book. So I refer to what the actual name of that book is. I can't remember the name of the book, but it was in the 1950s, a book by George Adamski. And he first coined uh, the space brothers thing. And I just, yeah, I think it's cute. And I think it's fitting because that's what everyone wants them to be our benevolent space brothers. They're not. Uh Yeah. It gives a cute little title to something that's menacing. I mean, you can, you can call a 25 foot crocodile Dolly, but that doesn't mean it's not going to eat you. Right. Right. Or or powder puff or pumpkin or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. You can call your lion, your uh, lion buddy fluffy, but he's, (laughs) he's not like the cat next door. Yeah, (laughs) for sure. So, yeah, but it is, well, you know, we anthropomorphize things all the time. You know, we make things, try to make things more human so that we can deal with them, you know, but yeah. it's impossible to make these things human. Sorry. <laughs> so if I have a friend that comes to me and says, Jay, I heard your show with Karen and I'm having similar experiences. What advice can I give them? Um, I would say a couple things. First, I would say, listen to your friend, offer to let them unload on you and listen with an open heart and an open mind and just, you know, let them know that you're there for them. It doesn't matter if you believe it or not. Those of us who've been through these kind of traumas, we need to get it out. Um, And then I would ask them to look into if there's a faith-based organization that they feel comfortable with, mm-hmm. um, it's hard because a lot of those places just don't support this type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I would send them to someone like my website or my friend Vicki Joy Anderson's website. You can reach out to me and I'm not offering therapy. I'm not offering to do anything, but I am offering to share stories. Mm-hmm. I'm offering to listen. I'm offering to let you know you're not alone. And, um, it's a place to start. Um, sometimes you just need to talk to someone who's been there. 
It's like a support group. Absolutely. Um, Vicki Joy Anderson is really a good person to go to as well if someone's still being tormented by something because she does sort of deliverance. You know, look for some kind of a deliverance ministry, but nothing that's too weird, something that you know is above board. Um, you know, really pray about it if you're a praying person. And definitely just reach out to someone. I mean, starting with, like, if your friend, if you had a friend who came to you and said that, that's that's a really good first step yeah. because most people won't take that step, which is why I'm like, if you're not sure what to do, just reach out to me on my website. I will get back to you if you want. Let me know if you want me to get back to you, and I will. It's not always right away because sometimes I get a lot at once, and it just depends on my schedule at the mm -hmm. time. But I do get back to everyone. It just takes a while sometimes. So if someone's listening and says, well, I reached out to you last month, and I still <laughs> haven't heard back from you, it's not that I'm not going to get back sure. to you. It's just that I haven't been able to yet um, because, you know, we're just getting started on this too. And, and there are different support groups and things out there. I have not vetted any of them. Sure. I have yet to find one that I feel fully comfortable with. So I'm not putting any on my website right now. Okay. Um, if that happens, I will. Um, but I just don't feel comfortable with any of the ones that I've come across. Uh, a lot of them seem to have some ulterior motives involved. Or some people that I just don't feel comfortable with. And I'm not saying anything specific about anyone. Sure. So if you have one of those groups, I'm not saying anything that bad about you. I'm um, not at all. I just probably haven't heard of your group yet. Sure. And if someone has one and you want to suggest it, just shoot me a message through my website. Because, you know, if it is something I can bet, I will absolutely put a link for it on my website. Well, I'm really sorry that all this happened to you. It, it seems like it's just too much for one person to deal with, but I think through your pain, you've, you've found a purpose in helping others. And that's what I always tell people. Yeah. If you don't know what to do with your life, help other people and it'll all work out. Yeah. I love that. That is absolutely such a wonderful thing to say. And I agree a hundred percent. And what you guys are doing is helping people because you're sharing information and you're listening and talking and, Everything you guys are doing is so helpful. So thank you for what you're doing. Well, thank you. Do you have anything else that you want yeah. to ask, Ryan? Nothing that wouldn't lead into a whole <laughs> additional episode. I don't think I, I, I couldn't believe it when I saw that we had been talking for almost an hour and that was oh, wow. 40 yeah, we minutes ago. A while. Yeah. Is it? Yeah. This is all really fascinating. Oh, well, and I'm happy to come back. Um, oh, and if you great. haven't had a chance to read the book, if you do get a chance to get it and we can talk about that, I'll find then what happens um, oftentimes too, is people will read the book after we talk and then they want to get back together because they have a whole nother crop of questions. Um, so that happens often as well. So I'm happy to do that. Or I'm just happy to come back anytime. Or if you, if something crazy is happening in the news and you want someone to come on, who's actually had UFO experience, I'll, I'm happy to do that as well. That would be um, amazing. So, yeah. We'd love to have you back for sure. Oh, great. I'd love to come back. You guys are wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Can you tell everyone again where they can find all your stuff? Yes, absolutely. And it'll be in the show um, notes, of course, but. Oh, good. Yes. Um, so yes, my website is my name, KarenWilkinsonAuthor.com. It's Karen with an I, Wilkinson with eyes. Um, and you can find the book at only at lamarzuli.net. That's exclusively at l-a-m-a-r-z-u-l-l-i.net. So lamarzuli.net is where you can find the book. You can find links to that on my website, and you can find links to my website and to LA's website on my social media. 
um, which is Facebook, which is just my name at Karen Wilkinson. You can find me on Instagram, which is at Karen Wilkinson author. For some reason, I could not get my name on Instagram. <laughs> Someone got it. Um, they're not using it, but they've got it. Um, so yeah, right. So, um, yeah, you can um, find me on, on social media platforms or my website or through LA's website. And, um, and like I said, if you need or want to share a story or you just have a question or a comment or whatever, you can comment through Facebook, you can comment through my website, or even through LA Marzulli's website as well. There are options to leave messages. So any of those will work. I would love to hear from you. And just, you know, or if you read the book and you liked it or you have questions about it, I would love to hear that too. Or maybe a suggestion on who should uh, oh. read the uh, audio book when that comes out. Because <laughs> well, I was hoping to do it myself. Yeah. My voice isn't very good today because my allergies are so bad. And I had a, a procedure, an endoscopy procedure last week. So my voice is not back yet, but I'm hoping to do it myself. So. That, that'd be great. I, I got a book yeah, one right. time and. Uh, I didn't listen to the sample and it turns out it was a Scottish guy reading it and he did a pretty good job, but a Scottish accent mm -hmm. is hard to hear through <laughs> sometimes. So, but I think having not a, it, yes. <laughs> you know, as long as the author uh, doesn't, you know, sound too weird or creepy or anything, I would rather right. the author read it anyway, because it's your book, it's your emotions, you own it and exactly. you feel it. So exactly. I think it, you, you can put more emotion into it when you read it yourself. And I promise I'll use my radio voice. <laughs> but right now it's not my radio <laughs> voice. Right now you're getting kind of a crackly version of my voice. So I apologize to everyone listening to this one. So it'll be better next time. I promise. Fair enough. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks so much for joining us and uh, you have a wonderful evening. Do you have any final thoughts? I have a lot of thoughts about this interview. This was I, I think this is the first abductee we've actually talked to. So yeah. I was really interested to hear how Karen's accounts compared to what you read online and what her take was on what other people say about it. And there's a lot of similarities, but a lot of differences as well. You know, the, the going underground thing, almost suggesting an ultra terrestrial sort of entity as opposed to what we would normally do, but then the Christianity aspect added into it. It was, I don't know, suggestive to me that, that this is legit. One, mm -hmm. because of the way she tells the story and her reactions. Yeah. But also just some of the details. You know, it doesn't match the typical Hollywood thing. Or at least not in every way. Or the sensations that she talked about as she was being transported. Or even, you know, being on... She talked about the sideways elevator, the train thing. Whatever mm -hmm. you want to refer to it as. And when she was saying it's this underground thing that moves you from room to room in this underground complex, I immediately thought of like the tram at the airport in Atlanta mm -hmm. or something like that. Like it's, yeah. it's such a normal pedestrian kind of thing to think about. I just don't know why you would include it in a UFO story if you were trying to, or an abduction story, if you were trying to pull one over on somebody. It's clear that the emotions are very strong yeah and i just i really like people they don't understand most people thankfully don't understand what it's like to lose a child yeah or or have a miscarriage these are things that destroy people 
absolutely destroy people and to have it happen over and over and over I feel like she's going to help a lot of people because she brings a ton of credibility she's a nice lady she's not trying to sensationalize anything she says I don't remember that or this is where my memory stopped it's not like a typical case like what you would think of like a crazy person (laughs) where it's well I I mean she knows she she's I'm sure she's had you know people call her names and stuff before because I mean it had let's take aliens completely out of the picture demons aliens everything out of the picture when something like this happens to people if it's if it's you know a kidnapping or a molestation or anything like that it is unbearable mm-hmm. and to go through it like this and to have this kind of experience i can't even imagine i cannot grasp what that must feel like and i think that i'm pretty good at putting myself in people's shoes but i don't i don't think i would have made it out man i I really i feel like i would be the guy on the street addicted to heroin or you know alcohol and people just be like oh that crazy guy just tells a story and it's like well the reason that you know this person's you know been doing heroin for 15 years is because they can't cope or deal with the stuff that they've gone through and and i think right. she found that in faith so good for yeah. her yeah i think there was like she said there was a happy ending to it that she has this faith and now she has found kind of a voice and a way to help other people and that's what it's all about ryan mm-hmm. all right that's all we've got for you tonight on cryptique please like subscribe and share Socials are in the notes. You can email us at cryptiquepodcast at gmail.com. You can check out the cool stuff we have at cryptiquepodcaststore.com. Or you can warm us up by buying us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com forward slash cryptiquepi. And remember, like I said earlier, you never know how strong you are until strong is your only choice. Good evening, Crypt Keepers. Boom.